Welcome today to Victory Church. It is so good to be back home. I'm telling you, it's what a blessing it is to be able to get away for a few days once in a while and uh, just get a little bit of rest and relaxation. I'm with the family, but on a daily basis, I had extra time to read and pray, and it was amazing how many of you during that time came up in front of me, and I prayed for you, and I just want you to know how much I love you. I love this church. I love what God is doing in your lives, in your homes, in your families. It is just an amazing, overwhelming blessing to see uh, on, a, on a regular basis the growth that God is bringing, not just new people that are coming, but the growth in your lives, just growing down deep. Let's give God a hand for that. Amen. I, I am just overwhelmed on a regular basis to just give God glory and give him praise because of what he's doing. Um, Jeremiah wrote in the little bitty book called Lamentations in, the, in this dirge, almost, almost like a, a, a funeral procession. It's a dirge over the condition of the state of, of Judah, Jerusalem. But in the middle of it, there's this diamond that God shines this laser beam light on. And he says, you know, God, if it weren't for your mercies, we would be consumed. And he says, your faithfulness is so great. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so this morning, I just want to tell you, if you don't think you have anything to give God praise for, by virtue of the fact that you're here with breath in your lungs, you give God praise because he's given another day. His mercies are new. This series that we're doing, you should have received a copy of message notes when you came in. It's called One Thing. This was born out of... My devotional time over the last few months, I had committed to the Lord to, to read through the scripture from the first of the year, and I did it on a six-month plan this time because I was really trying to, to get through some passages that I was wrestling with. And, and over the course of that time, there were a number of things that jumped out at me, and I, I, I try my best to, to, to log those and to journal those and put down thoughts and then go back and pray over them because I think many times those are things that God, first of all, wants to speak to me and deal with me and bring change in me and growth in me as a husband, as a father, uh, as a sheep, even all of that before I'm a shepherd. And then as that process of transformation starts, God says there's time when he'll have me bring it to you and bring it to the church. And bring to the congregation the word that the Lord has put in me. And this is one that's been cooking now for about six months. And the passages all over the scripture regarding one thing is, just seem to jump out at me. And, and there, are, there are a number of them. And we've, we've hit the high spots in this series. We've got four weeks. This is week number two. And I just want to thank Alex for doing an absolutely amazing job kicking this thing off last week. We were, we were in Orlando 
and had a fantastic time, great time with me and Dawn and Abby and Melissa. Uh, Quentin, her friend, went with us and uh, just enjoyed a tremendous time of being able to chill and time in the Word. And I was thinking about you Sunday morning and somebody says, well, did you get up and go to church? And actually, no, I, they were all asleep. And I got up and spent time in the Word and prayed for you guys, knew what time it was here, knew right about when the worship was going on and was praying for you and just for the Spirit of God to move. And then the it's so cool because within just a couple of hours after the service, the, the recording goes up on our website. If you've never checked out victorywired.com, I'd encourage you to do that because it was just so great. And I heard Alex bring that word from David, from Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord. The King James says, one thing have I desired that I may inquire in your temple and behold the beauty of the Lord. And it's all about what your passion is. Now, how many of you know... If, if you can identify, if you can, if you can whittle down all of the interests that you have and you can bring them down in the principle of reduction, the law of reduction, that, the thing he was bringing last week was, was, was dealing with the law of reduced interests. It's amazing how when you really start to get serious about loving God and your passion to be first for Him, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these other things. Did you hear that right there? All these other things. See, it's all the other things that seem to consume us. The bills that need to be paid on time, the, the deadline that has to be finished and performed, the grass that needs to be cut. And, and so many times I, I remember that little track that I read, little booklet that I read back in college by Charles Hummel. It was called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And in about eight pages, very simple little pages, he lays out how so much of the time our lives are driven by things that are urgent, but they're not really important. For example, the grass that's growing outside and it's got to be cut. It's going to take you a couple of hours to get out and drive it and push it or however you do it and then weed eat it and blow it and do all the stuff that you do to make your yard look good. And I think that's a good thing to be a good steward over what God's given you. But sometimes we can be so driven by the urgent things that we don't make time for the really important things, like spending time with our children, like, like taking the time to tell your wife how awesome and how beautiful she is and how that she's the most amazing woman in the whole world and that God blessed you by bringing her into your life. Come on, ladies, say amen. And ladies, to turn and reciprocate and do the same thing for your husband and to, to pour and invest in your children. And sometimes we can get so busy wrapped up in all the stuff that's urgent and, and the voices and the things, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the push for more. I've got to work more so I can buy more, so I can have more, so I can keep more, so I can store up more, so I have to find more space to put all this more that I've got. Rick Warren tweeted this week, I follow him on Twitter, he's a great man of God, wrote The Purpose Driven Church, The Purpose Driven Life, and highly respected across the denominations in the, the whole world. And he said, you know something, he said, too many times we confuse the stuff, the things, the important things in life are not things at all. He says, never confuse your value with valuables, and never confuse your self-worth with your net worth. Because who God has made you to be is totally, entirely, and separately different than all the stuff that we have. The scripture says, you know, a man can possess all the possessions of the world and lose his soul. And then what does he have? Because ultimately, none of that stuff really matters. So this morning as we jump into this, Alex laid the foundation last week on one thing regarding passion. It's our lives are 
one great big act of worship. Worship is not just songs we sing. It's not just clapping the hands once in a while. It's not just lifting the hands or closing your eyes or bowing in prayer. Those are all expressions of worship, but worship is our life. Worship is what we do. Everything we do, we do it to the glory of God. This morning, I want to bring to you this message called The Principle of Experience. We're going to be looking at John 9. John chapter 9 and verse 25 particularly should be at the top of your notes there. If you'd look with me, the Bible says, He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. And I love it that the day that Greg decided to introduce that Jars of Clay song, it happened to be the one thing that I was doing. One thing I do know. That's what he sang over and over. This is the one thing I know. All of that is wrapped up in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Embracing what he has already done for you is the greatest thing that you can do for him in your life. Embracing Everything that he's already finished, it's already done. He has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's declared it is finished, it is paid for, to telestai. It is done, it is accomplished, paid in full. There's a story here that's going on where a, a young man who was born blind is seen by Jesus, by the disciples. This is his response after having been questioned twice by the Pharisees. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So this morning, I want to take this principle of experience. Thank you, Perry Reginelli, for taking care of me with my sweat towel. I tell you, I've worshiped with all of my heart, and you guys know me around here at Victory. I put so much into it and just kind of oozes, you know. <laughs> so... I got to kind of beat that back a little bit here. Number one, I want to share this with you this morning. No matter what your circumstance is, nothing, everybody say, no thing. Nothing, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Say that with me right now. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. The scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, this is found in the English Standard Version of the Bible. It says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now, you know, sometimes when we're slap in the middle of all the stuff that we're dealing with, we're going through inexplicable circumstances, sometimes doubt and fear come all in and try to attack and really challenge you and make you begin to question, well, you know, if God really was real, I wouldn't have to be wrestling with this problem that I have right now. Different ones of you this morning are facing circumstances that right now you don't have the answer to. Everybody in this room, to some degree or another, is either coming out of a crisis or heading into one. That's just life. Stuff happens. And the amazing thing is that as believers, as Christians, and let me just say this, I don't automatically assume that everybody that's sitting here in the room this morning is a believer. And even if you aren't, you're welcome in this place. This is a safe place. This is a place that you can come and ask questions and you're free to express your doubts. The disciples had doubts. They asked questions. Let me tell you something. I am never ever afraid of the challenge of what I believe because if it's true, it will always withstand the pressure of any question. 
I'm never afraid of somebody investigating the claims of what I have staked my life on. I've investigated those claims. I've seen the reality of what it is that Christ can do in my life, how he's changed me, how he has saved me, how he is in the process of transforming me, how he has in such a gracious way with the free gift of his son has also, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, freely with him given us all things. His provision is overwhelming. His love is absolutely astounding. His favor is amazing. This morning, I want to tell you, no matter what you're dealing with, believer or not, maybe you're just a seeker today. You haven't quite crossed that line of faith yet. I want to tell you that nothing that you're facing right now is too difficult for God. He's the God who stretched this thing out by His powerful hand and His outstretched arm. The expanse of the heavens and by his powerful word, he spoke it into being. And the Bible says nothing is too hard for you. No thing. Everybody say no thing. thing. See, so many times we are inundated with the multitude of things. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there are multitudes of voices and none of them are without significance. He was talking about the importance of declaring a clear sound so that people could understand. He was talking about the practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the services there in the Corinthian church and how they needed to do everything that was commanded of God. All of the gifts, let them be an expression. Do them decently in an order. Let everything be done. And he was talking to them about the importance of declaring a clear sound because there's so many voices, there's so many things, there's so many distractions that will come at you and attempt to literally take you off course, make you stray from the path. Ultimately, all that is is sin. Sin is blind eyes. Sin is a hard heart. Sin is a stiff neck. Sin is straying from the path. Sin is wandering from the way. Sin is all of those things which we describe in the Word that breaks our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And what I want you to recognize is that there is no sin that is so great that God can't overcome. Matter of fact, He's already overcome all of them. Nothing that you face is too difficult. I want you to see this morning as we tell this little story very briefly. There's a blind man that Jesus sees and His disciples ask Him a question. Hey, what's up with this guy? And we're going to delve into that just a little bit, a little bit deeper in just a moment. But Jesus stoops down and he, in a very strange kind of way, brings healing to this guy's blindness. And then after he's blinded and after he's healed, he obeys God. We're going to read that in the story in just a moment. He, he goes on his way and it literally causes such a buzz and such a stir in the town. Everybody is just freaking out over it. So the Pharisees call and they go, this really can't be the same guy that we always knew was kneeling down here in this place with his beggar's cup. He's the one that we know was born blind. And So they call his parents and they have the parents testify. And basically the parents kind of back up and say, well, you know, we're, you know, why don't you ask him? He's full grown and we'll look at that too in a moment. And in the process of this, they call him back the second time. They ask him again, how did this happen? And the guy basically says, look, I've already told you over and over how this happened, what he did. It was this guy named Jesus. He is a prophet. He really is all that he claims to be. And the Pharisees absolutely would not hear it because he didn't do it the way that they thought that he should do it. How many of you know religious spirits can come in and we can become a Pharisee so quickly 
That we can reject the new thing that God is doing because we think that God has to do it the same way he's always done it. As a matter of fact, when you read this particular account here about this blind man who is healed, it's very different from the way Jesus healed blind people in the other particular passages of the scripture in the gospels. It's pretty amazing how he does it. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. I want to jump, if you would, with me this morning, though, to my second point. Say the first one with me right now. Nothing, Nothing. is too difficult for the Lord. Say this with me now. Say, no thing in my life is too difficult for God. All right, number two, let's jump. Your issue is an opportunity to know God personally. Now, this guy said, one thing I know. You know, I don't know about all this other stuff. I don't know about all the questions. I don't know about the fulfillment of prophecy. I don't know what all you Pharisees in your particular religious denominational persuasion have against this guy because basically he's changed my life. He's transformed me. And I know that you've got some things that you're arguing about and you're wrestling with, and I don't know any of that stuff, but one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. This is what I want you to grab this morning. Your issue, what you are facing, what you're wrestling with is your personal opportunity to know God himself. Your issue is an opportunity to know God personally. I want to grab this up and I'm going to take time to read this chapter because it's just so good. Listen, walking down the street, singing, do what did he, did he? No, I'm sorry. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from his birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Verse 3. I'm reading from the message. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the work day is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, Go wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. Everybody say scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, Why isn't this the man? And he said, Why? Isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Now let me stop right there. Now, this is so much the religious mindset that we, every one of us, regularly are, are captivated in. So let's don't too quickly throw stones at the disciples. Jesus is in a mentoring relationship. He's in a coaching relationship. He is a master of their students. He is the teacher. They are the disciples. They are learning. They are being disciplined. They are being schooled. Mathetes. They are the student learners. And so everywhere they go, they're watching him. Jesus is doing it. The disciples are watching. Matter of fact, this is the pattern of disciple making. Jesus does it. The disciples watch. The disciples do it. Jesus watches and adjusts and gives his approval. Then the disciples do it. That's the whole process of walking along with someone in a growing relationship, whether it's a prayer partner, whether it's a, a friend, someone who encourages you, someone who's a little bit older in the Lord, who's experienced some of the things of life and learned what it means to pray and to trust God and stand in faith on the promises. 
And so Jesus is walking along and he notices a, a blind man who's been blind from birth. And the disciples ask the question, Jesus, whose fault is this? Who sinned? Was it his parents or was it the, 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 the young guy? It's a young man. And of course, how could he possibly have sinned having actually done an act in his mother's womb that would bring it about? Jesus basically says, guys, wait a minute. You're totally missing the point here. It's not about a cause-effect relationship here in this thing. It's not about whether the parents sin or whether he sinned. You, you, you guys are missing the boat. This is all about the glory that God wants to bring. Watch the work that is about to happen. Now, let me just say this real quickly. Sickness in the world is a, a direct result of sin, just in the general sense. Because you get sick doesn't necessarily mean that you just sinned an hour before and that made you catch a cold. Sin is in the world. Sin is in our lives. We will never be fully free entirely from the presence of sin until we see Jesus and our bodies have been glorified. Are you with me? I have been delivered, past tense, from the penalty of sin. I am presently being delivered from the power of sin more and more and more every day in my life because he is changing me. I'm being transformed. I'm being sanctified. I am growing in grace. Now, I want you to get this. Stay with me. Here we go one more time. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Jesus already paid it at the cross 2,000 years ago. Come on, put your hands together. I have been. I am presently being delivered from the power of sin in my life. Things that used to grip me don't hold me any longer. Am I going to stand up here and tell you that, that, that I don't have anything that is wrong, that I don't wrestle with attitudes or issues? Let me tell you something. I'll be the first to tell you right now. I say it over and over. It's a T.D. Jakes quote. It amazes me that all the while God has called me to bring the message of transformation, he is still actively involved in transforming the messenger. It means I ain't done yet. It's all finished in Christ, but I'm still walking it out in history. So I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. I am being delivered from the power of sin. But when I see him, there will come a time when I will ultimately be delivered from the presence of sin altogether. But let me just say this to you right now. There are things we can get diseases due to sin. There are immoral things you can do. You can do it with drugs. You can do it with illicit relationships. You can do things that will bring disease into your body that are a direct consequence of sinful choices that you make. That is a truth. It is a reality. But what Jesus was saying here is that, guys, this is not the focus here. This guy was born blind. He's not blind because of anything his parents did, but I want you to watch because God's glory is going to be revealed. And it's amazing to me the kind, the way, the choice that Jesus used to heal this guy. Now, the Pharisees are all knocked out of shape because he's doing it on the Sabbath. Uh, you know, it's the holy day, it's the day of rest. Jesus gets so ticked off at these religious people. And if you ever just take time to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will realize that it was not the sinners that were ever Jesus' biggest problem. It was the religious folk. It's the religious folk that were a little bit upset about maybe the way they'd always done things and Jesus was wanting to come along and change a couple things. Now, let me tell you, Jesus was the greatest change agent that's ever been on the planet because after he was here, they started eating meat that had been forbidden. 
They worshiped on a different day and they called a man God. Jesus is fully God, but he was a man walking around in a flesh and blood and bone body. And it had forever been a disgrace and a commandment against the law of God to call anybody except God, God. And they started calling Jesus God in the flesh. You're talking about a change agent, baby. Some stuff changed in a major kind of way. And that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, Jesus not only does it on the Sabbath, and he gets so ticked off at the Pharisees regularly because all the time he says, look at you, bunch of religious idiots. If your ox gets in the ditch, you go get that animal out, don't you? Yeah. Well, that's work, isn't it? Absolutely. He says, well, how much more is it if I see a child of Abraham that's trapped in the ditch of sin or in bondage or in sickness, shouldn't I also bring them out? Regardless of the day, because the Sabbath literally is the indication of God's complete finished work. Hallelujah. It's a picture of his rest. And when we Step forward in the confidence, the fact that God has finished it and do that by faith. It's amazing how God will do miracles in your life. I believe that he wants to bring a demonstration of the miraculous presence and power of God into your life, just like he did this blind man. You know, the way Jesus does it is not pretty. I I mean, the scripture says in the King James that he spat in the mud. Here in, in the, the message, it's just a little bit different. I think it's almost a little bit cleaned up because it says that he, he spit in the, the, the dust and he made a paste. Now, I, how many of you know it was like Jesus was making mud pies? Now, I, I don't know about you right now. Jesus has probably already been talking to the disciples. My mouth is a little dry. I don't know how I can come up with enough spit to make enough mud to put in your eyes. Now, this isn't in the Bible, and if I offend you, just please get over it. But you know what? I <laughs> Do you know what I think Jesus did? Some of you go, oh, you just totally lost me right there. Why did you do that? You know, it's amazing sometimes when people want God to do something for them, how they want to choose how he does it. Do you know, God is not afraid to get down into your mess and even let it get a little bit messy in order to bring you out of your mess. Some of you are struggling with some stuff this morning that nobody else in the room knows about. And I want to tell you, God has provided everything for you so that your test can become a testimony. God met this guy. Jesus is walking along one day and he meets this blind man, blind from birth, and he... I believe he just flat hocked up a good one and he spit real good and he mixed it all up. And I tell you what, if nothing else, I've got your attention right now at this point and all the young kids that are with me going, hey, this is the coolest message I've ever heard. And Jesus is just making a paste and these people are going, what in the world is Jesus doing? He's crazy out of his mind. He says, no, no, I'm out of your mind. And he mixes up this paste and he brings it to the blind man and he puts it on his eyes and he tells the blind man, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now it's not like it's going to make any difference, like the mud's going to keep him from seeing because he already can't what? Can't see anyway. But the blind man has such a routine. He already knows his way around the community. He knows the gate of the temple. He knows the place where he gathers to beg. He knows the marketplace. He can smell the scents. He, 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 he knows where their, their, their 
working on the iron. He knows where they're making cabinets. He, he, he knows where everything is in the community because he's moved around. I remember when I taught a couple of semesters at A-State, I had a blind student in one of my classes. and Very, very, very bright young man. And the first day of class, as I'm there to introduce world civilization since 1660, and I'm all excited about it, this young blind man walks in, and his father is with him. And the first day of class, they're actually moving around the campus at Arkansas State, and he's, he has his stick that he uses, staff, whatever it is, that aids him so that he can feel the ground around him. And he counts the step between every class, between every building, how many steps he has to go up as he moves into Wilson Hall and he comes into my class on the ground floor. How many steps he has to go down because Wilson has actually comes in there kind of at a, in between two floors and you have to go down to come into the basement where I taught. And so he counted steps and he, he got, got a desk set. There was a, there was a desk there that was particularly dedicated for folks who had uh, disabilities. And so that was set for him. He knew that when he would round that corner, that desk would be right there on the left. So he knew his routine. He knew how many steps between every class going to the building. He knew how to get over to the uh, cafeteria and to go through the line and put his lunch card. He, did through, he went through all of that in the same way this blind man knew how to make his way around the city of Jerusalem. And what Jesus was doing was he was saying, for one last time, I'm going to send you back into this routine that's captivated you for your whole life. I'm going to send you to a place called Sent. Because God has come and he's sent a word into you. You're going to go to the place called Salome and the sent word from God has come to you and I'm sending you to a place called Sent. He says, now if you will obey me and you will go and wash, when you wash this divine spit and the dust of the earth out of your eyes, you will see. And guess what happened? The guy was crazy enough to obey and when he obeyed, he came back seeing. Come on. Others said, it's him all right, but others objected. It's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. He said, it's me, the very one. They said, how did your eyes get open? A man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Salome and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. Say that with me. When I washed, I saw. One more time. Let's get it. When I washed, I saw. It's all about obedience. It's about the experience. It's about the test that I'm going through that Jesus has provided everything that will become a testimony in my life. Listen. Verse 12. So where is he? I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. He said he put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously, this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. There's that religious spirit. He doesn't do it the way we've always done it. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others countered, how can a bad man do miraculous God-revealing things like this? There was a split in their ranks. <laughs> I love it. When the enemy comes in, God has a way of literally setting Egyptian against Egyptian. He has a way of those that are trying to counter, those that are trying to be critical, those that are trying to destroy the work of God. He has a way of dividing it up and conquering it. They came back at the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? 
He said he is a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it. They didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. See, it's amazing how religious spirits will put everything into a whole atmosphere of doubt. Doubting, won't believe whatsoever. Oh, no, 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 this can't be God. The Jews didn't believe it. The Bible says in verse 18, The Jews didn't believe it, didn't believe the man was blind to begin with, so they called the parents of the man now bright-eyed with sight. Can you imagine 20-something years old, you're born blind, and all of a sudden somebody comes along spits in some mud, rubs it in your eye, you head down and obey what he says do, you go wash it out, and you run back for the very first time seeing the market that you've only smelled. Seeing the iron worker that you've only heard. Seeing the fire in the, in the center of the town. Seeing the well where the water is drawn out that you've only ever tasted. You've never seen it before. Obviously, his eyes are bright. He's moving with a level of excitement. His test is no longer a test. It's become a testimony because he's experienced something down inside of his heart that has changed him. Come on. They ask him, is this your son? They ask them, the parents, is this your son, the one who you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? His parents said, we know he is our son and we know he was born blind. But we don't know how he came to see, having a clue about, how, about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? A man and can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. In other words, they were going to be disfellowshipped from the synagogue, kicked out of the temple. Why don't you ask him? Verse 23, that's why his parents said, ask him, he's a grown man. They called the man back a second time, the man who had been blind, and told him, give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. They're talking about Jesus now. The ESV says, we know he's a sinner. In other words, he's not the real stuff. He's just a crazy TV evangelist that's playing games. No, no. He says, he replied, I know nothing about the one way or the other. All these arguments that you guys have, and this is the bottom line right here, but I know one thing for sure. Everybody say one thing. One thing for sure. He says, I was blind, I now see. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, I've told you over and over and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. All right. Sorry about that. That was my timer, and I was trying to beat it this morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to wrap this up. Okay, here we go. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replied, This is amazing. You claim to know that God isn't at the beck and call for sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does His will. That someone opened the eyes of a blind man, born blind, has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? They then threw him out in the street. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said and worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see 
and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, Does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, If you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. God has provided everything that you need for your test to become a testimony. In this place this morning, you don't have to know a bunch of theology. You don't have to know philosophy or history. But you need to know one thing. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because this guy had an experience. And I want you to realize something this morning. People can argue all day long over different theologies, ideas. They can argue over politics. They can argue over all kinds of things. But they can't argue with you when you've met Jesus personally. When he's touched your life. When he's changed you. I, I, I don't know what the blank is in your life. One thing I know. I once was blank. But now I'm blank. This man said, I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus came into his life and touched him. And by a very radical, kind of crazy, just ridiculous way, using some spit and some mud, and he transformed his life and he opened his eyes. You know something? Jesus is not afraid to get down into the mess of your life and even get a little bit messy with you in order to bring you out of it. Maybe your testimony could be this. I once was bound, but now I'm free. There are people sitting in this room this morning that are wrestling with chemical addictions. You have to have something to get you up out of the bed, to help you to make it through the day, and then after at the end of the day, you've got to take something else to counter that so that you can lay down and go to bed and sleep at night so that you can get up in the morning and start the cycle all over again. I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to remain in that kind of a lifestyle. You know what? Maybe you feel like you're just wandering and you don't have any sense of purpose. This could be you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know, this morning, it really does not matter what you know. Because my last principle is this one. It's not about what you know, but it's about who you know. I remember growing up as a young man and I heard my dad complain about this and he was talking about the whole good old boy network and how, you know, to get ahead, you got to know folks. You know what? I realized one day, I realized that the kingdom of God is the same way. It's not about what you know. It's not about how much theology you can, you can regurgitate or how you can spit out something, a principle or a promise, even as wonderful as all of that stuff is. It's not about what you know that's going to get you ahead in the kingdom of God. It's all about who you know. And better than that, it's about who knows you. I'm thankful this morning. The Bible says in Philemon verse 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You've got a story to tell. You've got a story that nobody else can counter. And I've said this phrase for years, A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man who only has an argument that's provided your experience is firmly rooted in Holy Scripture. One thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. One thing I know, I once was bound, but now I'm free. 
One thing I know, I once was dead, but now I live. And I want you to realize this morning is that the blind man in this scripture is every man. Because every one of us were born blind in sin. Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, unless God comes into your life and touches you and changes you and transforms you, there's no way you can see the kingdom of God where he wants to come into your life and give you a destiny and a future and a hope. Come on, somebody. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. Listen to these scriptures and I'm closing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. In the end, when everything seems like it's going to collapse around you, it all comes down to this one thing. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. The Bible says in John 17, verse 3, and I'm finished, this is eternal life that you know the only true God. This is eternal life that they know you, Jesus, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I just want to ask this question this morning as we bow our heads together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you this question today. Understanding this principle right here that nothing is too difficult for God. What is it that you're facing today that you need to fill in the blank? One thing I know. I once was blind, but now I see. One thing I know. I once was bound, but now I'm free. One thing I know. I once was dead, but now I live. Jesus Christ is the only one who can come in and transform your life and by his life-giving word, by every drop of blood that he shed and by the fact that he got up out of that grave on the third day, he's come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I just want to take this moment right now. I believe that there's some people in the room as we bring this service to a close that I believe that you would like to say with me, Pastor, I'm, I want you to pray for me. I need a fresh start in my life. I want to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and I would just ask if there's anybody who would like to be included in that prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call anybody forward. But I would just like to know right now, just by showing your hand, if you would just raise your hand saying, Pastor, I want you to include me in this prayer right now. I need a fresh start. I, I need some vision to open in my life. I need... Freedom to come. I've been bound. I feel like I'm not even alive, God. I, I've been dead and I want to live. Is there anybody this morning? Just with a showing of hands. So I just, yes, I saw that one back there. In the very back. Anybody else? Yes, in the far back. I see you. Anybody else? There's another. Mm, there's another. Thank you, brother. Anybody else? Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you, Lord, that there is nothing in any kind of way that we could ever describe that's too difficult. Lord, I thank you for these four who've raised their hands today and said, I, I, I want to see a breakthrough. I want to see a fresh start. I want to know Jesus in my problem that I'm facing. It's an opportunity for me to know God personally. God, I thank you for the miracle of the Lord to move in these circumstances. 
God, I thank you that the first thing is to acknowledge you and say, Jesus, be my Savior. Come into my heart. Change me. None of us has one bit of hope whatsoever to stand on our own righteousness, but it's only on His righteousness. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to lift your heart and to pray this prayer with me right now. I'm going to ask everybody. There were four hands that went up around the room this morning, and I want to especially pray for them, but I want everybody, if you would just pray this along with me, please, right now. Say, Father, thank you for the word of the Lord, for the life-giving message of Jesus. Let it be planted like seed in my heart to understand that nothing is too difficult for you. Thank you that my issue is an opportunity to know you personally, to know your mercy, to know your power, to know your grace, to know your presence. Forgive me of my sin, Jesus. I come to you. Not in my own strength, but by your grace. By faith, I take hold of the promise of God. I receive your free gift of salvation. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. I'll do all I can, Lord, to live for you. In Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you for these right now. I pray, Lord.